Have you ever heard a story that you just can't forget? For me, it was about three years ago at a local gym when I first heard Bill tell his story, and I have remembered it ever since. Bill has a complex medical history that has meant over a hundred hospital visits starting at the age of 17 months. Can you imagine being enrolled into your kindergarten class and then, along with your dad, training your soon-to-be teachers ways to support your medical needs in class? I'm so glad that Bill generously shares his story with you here today. I'm your host, Danette Adams, and this is the Resilient and Resourced Podcast. So I'm really happy that finally Bill and I have been able to make this conversation work. We've been working a long time at this. I'm really excited to have Bill tell his story here today. I think it was about two and a half or three years ago, Bill, where I heard you tell your story at a local gym, a place where we have a mutual friend, and um, I have not forgotten it. It's been that long all the way through COVID and everything else. Um, When I decided to start a podcast last year, I knew you were one of the first people that I wanted to speak with because your story was so memorable. It just stuck with me. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. No, absolutely. I uh... Honestly, like I've done a few podcasts now, and this is really, I've never had someone see me speak in person. It's, I mean, especially that long ago, you were one of the first groups of people I spoke in front of. And, uh, you know, I was very nervous as I still am, but uh, it's it's really special to me that you remembered that and then not only remembered, but have now asked me to come speak to you again. So thank you for having me on. That's great. So let's just start right in, dig right in and start telling your story. Sure. Um, So I was born with a genetic high cholesterol condition uh, that I was diagnosed with at 17 months old. So I got a central line at that time and started going to SickKids Hospital once every two weeks uh, for a treatment called plasmapheresis, uh, which basically just removes the cholesterol from the body. And over my childhood, I went every two weeks to SickKids for that treatment. And then for my eighth birthday, I ended up having a triple bypass. So I was one of the youngest kids in North America, if, if not the youngest, I think, at that time to have a triple bypass. And, uh, you know, obviously that was a pretty big deal. And we increased my treatment frequency at that time to once a week. So continue to sick kids every week with my dad. Um, the next year I got whooping cough and I was hospitalized for five weeks at that time. And uh, they found another condition called superior vena cava syndrome. Uh, which basically that was formed from my central lines blocking or scarring my superior vena cava closed. So I don't have any circulation through my subclavians and my a lot of my upper body um, since then. But uh, that in itself, well, has caused me some issues over the years. But uh, it's not a great thing to have, especially as a kid. So, uh, but anyways, I kind of got that diagnosed, carried on. Um, in my teenage years, I had three fistula surgeries. So basically, uh, because my central lines were causing some issues, I needed another method of treatment access to get the cholesterol out of me. So I, I still have a fistula in my left upper arm. Uh, so at 19 years old, I got my central line taken out. And uh, kind of over those years, I started lifting weights, got into the gym, uh, lost a bunch of weight. You know, I was a little bit overweight as a kid. Uh, you know, I had a lot of limitations physically and that I was on blood thinners and these central lines can be kind of temperamental and get pulled out and things like that. Um, But yeah, in my 20s, I got, I would say deep into the gym and powerlifting and competed in powerlifting a few times, ended up deadlifting uh, 545 pounds, which was 
a pretty big feat for me. You know, I was when I was 19, I was told I shouldn't lift more than 50 pounds. And, you know, about a decade later, it was a little bit more than that. So that was pretty cool for me. But uh, and then for my 32nd birthday there a couple of years ago, um, or before that, I guess I got found out I was in heart failure and uh, my aortic valve was basically almost completely shut. So I had a lot of issues getting blood, you know, to my body. And then my superior vena cava syndrome kind of exaggerated that. And um, 2019 in May, I ended up going in for another open heart surgery where I had a Bentol procedure done, uh, which replaces the ascending aorta, aortic root, aortic valve. And I had a mitral valve replacement and a fourth bypass graft. So that was kind of its own bag of worms. Uh, it was another pretty big deal. It wasn't a really positive uh, potential going into that surgery. So, you know, here I am. So it's worked out fairly well. But uh, recovered from that. And then, so basically right before I started speaking, that was kind of one of the catalysts to really motivate me to get out and kind of share more. And then uh, I had a major tissue infection in my chest, around my heart and in my arm. And uh, I was in the ICU for two weeks and almost died from that again too. So um, that was probably, I would say mentally, the hardest time I've ever experienced that kind of stretch there. But, you know, for most of my life, I've, I've never once doubted that I was just going to continue living. You know, I've never thought, you know, whatever this is going on is going to kill me. But uh, that infection really, it was the first time in my life um, I wasn't confident that my body could take what I was experiencing. You know, I, I didn't necessarily think that I was going to die, but I have a lot of physical health problems and, you know, it was a pretty, pretty rough time. But anyway, I got through that and kind of fast forward and here I am. So it's kind of in a nutshell the last 35 years. Wow. I, I have so many questions. I'm not sure exactly where to start, but I'll, I'll start with current time right now um, and how your health is now and what has COVID yeah. looked like for you? I mean, honestly, COVID, it's, it's odd to say, but the last year and a half, my life has been probably the best it's been in the better half of a decade. You know, my for a bunch of years there, my health was not stable. It wasn't great. And, uh, really since spring 20, well, yeah, around spring 2020, my health has been good. You know, last year I felt the best I've felt in years. And, uh, you know, despite everything happening in the world, like I've, I've had a good couple of years. I feel good. And I think that that's a very unique experience for the last year. Like other than the, you know, inconveniences, obviously of COVID, I've been fortunate that I haven't been strongly affected by it in my day to day. And, uh, I felt healthy, you know, my, I started a new drug last fall and I'm going to London now once a month. So for the first time in my life, I'm going once a month instead of once a week. And that's been just, you know, I, I can't even describe the difference that's made just having that time back, you know, my London days or Toronto days were always a whole day. So I have more life now. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great to hear. So let's jump back a couple decades then sure. to going to the hospital once a week from 17 months. Mm -hmm. So growing up, that's all you knew. You didn't know anything but being living in and out of a hospital. Did you realize that growing up? Like, did you feel different? Uh, like a little bit. I, I don't think, 
I don't remember it ever being like a, a large impediment or anything like that. It was, you know, I couldn't play sports. As I said, with the central line, there was some risk involved there and I was on blood thinners. But um, like I, I knew I was a little unique in that, like no one else in Teeswater had a central line. So like my father and I, we went to train all the teachers in the public school, what a central line was and how to do first aid for a central line. And then even down to the firefighters, we went to the fire hall and had to train them what to do with it. Like if I was around town and something happened, like what do you do? So I was the only kid that did that, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I started fishing at a young age. My dad's a huge outdoorsman. So, you know, I, I just did different things. So I don't remember ever feeling like I was missing out in playing sports or swimming. Like I imagine swimming like would have been a bit, but I made sandcastles. Like I we still went and did stuff. It just, I didn't go in the water. So I, I caught a lot of frogs. I caught crayfish in the rivers, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, it wasn't like this big sense of loss, as you say, it was just all I knew. And people over the years, they kind of seem to think that, you know, it's this huge undertaking to go to the hospital once a week. And, you know, I don't know how you do that. And you miss a day of school your whole life, this whole thing. But like, to me, it's just always been, I, I have to do this to stay alive. Like that's one thing that I do in order to get to live. And I just think it's a different kind of framing than most people expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Part of that framing would be too, that you have a view of the hospital that other people would never have view yeah. of people who spend a lot of time in the hospital like you. Absolutely. You know, there's, especially I, th I think from a young age, you know, I saw a lot of people don't get to go home. And every week, every I get to go in, I'm there for a few hours, and then I get to leave. So it's kind of this, maybe it isn't the best way to spend a day, but, you know, as I said, especially as an adult now, like I see a lot of people with autoimmune conditions and, you know, just different things where uh, transplants and that type of thing. And, you know, some of those people end up doing quite well, and some of them definitely don't. So, um I don't know. I, I've been exposed to that my whole life, and I think it's kind of kept my head and I don't know on my shoulders, so to speak. And I think I am very fortunate for that. A lot of people are scared in the hospital, and you know, rightfully so. And not to say I haven't been too at times, but um, it's very comfortable for me. You know, I sleep in hospital beds quite well, and I don't know nurses. To me, you know, I've got such a, such a respect for the profession and just how they handle things. It's unreal. So. I've been so fortunate to have the medical staff around me. Just, it's, you know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, what a great resource. You did talk about one time when things, uh, you weren't as positive because you come across mm. to me anytime when I've seen you speak and when we've spoken, that you're very positive without being, you know, sort of toxically positive where it's just fake positivity. It's just, you just know, you just feel as comfortable that things are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But you talked about a time where you didn't quite feel that way. So during that time, what did you lean on that? What resources did you have? People or your own determination? What what came to your support at that time? Or what did you reach out for? Um, well, I ended up seeing... So when I was in heart failure, I started into counseling um, just through the medical staff. Um, whatever. It was one provided by the county kind of thing. And... Uh, that was moderately helpful at the time, but uh, I was fortunate in that when I called them, like I had already had a 
a history with them. So um, I got to go in and actually had a, a session of EMDR therapy. And uh, that was after the fact, like my nervous system was all jacked up and I was sleeping like an hour. And it just, it, things got pretty rough and I was reliving a lot of things. And anyway, I had this session. It actually, it allowed me to sleep, you know, and I'm fortunate in that I have a fairly close relationship with a lot of my doctors and um i started on a medication to help me sleep at that time and it's just you know my body was falling apart and my, i just i wasn't allowing myself to go to sleep and definitely having easy access to doctors it's one benefit of being me like i've got the personal phone number for a couple of them and <laughs> it's wow. kind of like you know it's it's a neat kind of situation but um that counseling was really the one thing that made a big difference in that. But up until that point, I was pretty, pretty solitary on my own. I don't know when, when things kind of hit the fan, I do tend to push people out of my life. I don't like to, I find a lot of the times I feel the need to try to explain how you, like how I feel to people because they ask and they can see that something's wrong. But oftentimes I don't have that energy and I don't want to, take the energy to tell other people what's going on. And I think that that's something a lot of times people have a hard time accepting. And so in that case, I just kind of don't, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that's the greatest reaction, but uh, honestly, a lot of my life now is energy allocation and just kind of acknowledging what's going on and like kind of what do I have available to me internally today and how am I going to use that? So some days that includes other people and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Energy allocation is a, an exceptional boundary setting um, tool, you know, Thank so you. that you just know what you have to give and that, that you set that boundary. That's all you have to give that day kind of thing. So. Mm -hmm. it's, I, it hasn't been uh, perfect, I'll say that much, but uh, it's something I'm <laughs> working on all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have a question about how um, you talked a little bit about lifting weights and mm. I would like to know what that means to you, what it meant to you when you started doing it, what it means to you now. Mm. Now it's, I'm very grateful that my body is still able to do what it can. Uh, you know, it's one thing I speak about when I do, it's kind of this sense of I can versus I can't. And there's a lot of exercises that I'm unable to do now. Uh, so it's really just been a neat, sort of exercise and finding things that I can do and what else am I capable of doing. So to me, it my lymphatic system has some issues now. So lifting weights literally helps me feel better in that it helps move fluid through my body, uh, which otherwise settles and causes infection. And that's a whole road I don't want to go down again. So in that sense, it's not only is it a physical benefit, you know, and the mental as well, but um, that's a big part of it now. Uh, but when I started, I don't really, I imagine for one thing, it was a control. Like it's something that I knew no matter what, like the results are up to me. So if I don't progress, that's on me. If I do progress, then that's also on me. And I think that that's something, you know, having chronic health issues my whole life, they're somewhat outside of my control, but things like nutrition, things like activity, you know, and obviously I didn't know that at the time, but you know, as you get into it, you realize like maybe intuitively, I just knew like things that I can 
do in order to set myself up for the best potential future, I just started doing them, you know, and it's, there's nothing like a good pump. So for anybody that likes to go to the gym, you know, that, that feeling itself, like those endorphins and the dopamine and all that, like it's, I mean, I've definitely at times used that as a crutch to kind of step through some hard things, but, uh, I think that that's been definitely a resource for me. That's been a tool I've used a lot over the years. Um, some in healthy ways, some in not so healthy ways, but, um, I figure it's better than a lot of the alternatives. And at the end of the day, you know, more muscle mass or at least a little bit less fat mass is definitely good for someone with heart control or heart issues and high cholesterol. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, the one thing I remember from your talk, like many years ago now, when I was walking home and I was with my partner, I just turned to him and said, um, Bill would never have not needed people. So I was thinking, like I was thinking about you starting at such a young age in the hospital, you always had to rely on other people as resources. Mm. And I guess sort of what made me think about that is so many of us have a choice. We have a choice, well, am I going to reach out to somebody? And so I guess what I'm thinking about now is when you were a child, you didn't really have a choice. When you now have a choice to reach out, do you feel that now that you have control, say with the weightlifting, that you're more able to say, now I have the choice to reach out for this resource. Where do you land on that and resources now? Uh, a hypocrite. <laughs> I, uh, a lot of the time. And, uh, so in 2019, when I had that chest infection, um, I've always been very fortunate. Like my whole life, as you say, I've had a lot of people around me to support me and be there for me. And what I realized at that time is, you know, everyone wants to help. And when everyone does everything they can do to help and nothing helps, you feel the most helpless you ever can. So I don't know, a lot of the times now for me, I like to have, we'll say I'll keep that resource in my back pocket because mentally for me, if I don't reach out for help, theoretically, I have a group of people that will always be willing to help me. But I don't necessarily know if they can or not, right? There's not always something you can do. And that in itself is something that I would rather, I, I mean, I feel pretty comfortable with that whole concept now, but over the years, I think that's where I've kind of focused my energy is most of the things like nobody can breathe for me. Nobody can help me get out of bed and help me stand on my own two feet. Like these are like the baseline things to being alive that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you've got a hundred people in your house, like you have to breathe on your own. So, and, and I do find in those situations, like when there's people around me and I'm in a situation where I'm just trying to breathe, I feel stressed because it's like, well, all these people around and they're trying to help and they can't. And, you know, it's this whole situation of, I kind of take responsibility for their helplessness feeling. And it's just something that I try to avoid. So, I don't, I don't, I don't promote that. Like I definitely would rather people reach out for help because I don't believe most people have the mentality I do, you know, it's just different life experiences. And I feel very comfortable not doing certain things or doing certain things that maybe a lot of people don't. Um, so I think it's just really knowing, you know, where, where our strengths are, you know, where your comfort zone is and, it seems like mine's just a little bit different than a lot of people. So 
I do reach out for help or at least for conversation, like something, especially with COVID, I find I'm very much a in-person kind of person. And I don't know that all or nothing is kind of the way to go, but if I don't have a conversation and, you know, face-to-face -face with somebody, a phone call, this isn't the same for me. So a lot of the times I just have the conversation with myself. So speaking of strengths, what are some of your strengths? What are some qualities about yourself that you have grown to appreciate through your life? Um, yeah, as my ability to smile is something that I definitely admire about myself. Um, and just how many times it's been tested and say proven, but it's just kind of deeply ingrained in me. You know, I just as a quick story, like when I woke up after my last heart surgery or going into that surgery, I was, I was pretty concerned about my temperament when I woke up. Like I didn't know if I'd be aggressive or, you know, cause general anesthetic is kind of a mixed bag, but, uh, all of the nurses I had at that time complimented my parents on like, your son is so polite. Like I, you know, I, my body was essentially numb. I was on oxygen and like I, I was in really rough shape and like I was hardly awake or alive and I was saying thank you so much and I really appreciate what you're doing for me and these types of things just, just, I wasn't even there, you know, and that's the kind of responses I was having and that to me, it's priceless about my character and, you know, when I heard about that afterwards, I just thought like, you know, I damn near cried. It's kind of like, well, what do you, <laughs> there's no way you know that about yourself without it being tested and shown. And that to me was, it's a real accomplishment that I didn't really have a lot of control over, you know, but through a lot of the hardest things that I've been through, I don't, I don't really look for things to smile about. I just end up smiling, you know, and I don't think it's all like a defense mechanism or anything. It's just, there's always, something you know like i woke when i woke up it was i was in rough shape and my mom said how I, it went well so that's great and i went back to sleep you know everything's all good you know we'll see what happens later it's not a matter of you know oh my god i can't feel my body it was like yeah okay thanks <laughs> i'll see you later and it's that's one thing that it's, it's definitely carried me a long way and i think that's one part of me that's you know allowed me to stay as healthy as i have been yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. I know for the listeners, you can't see Bill's face like I can on the screen right now, but he has a huge smile and talking about even difficult things, you do. You have this way of looking at things um, that is grounded and, and quite unique. Yeah. Thank you. It's, I, don't, I don't know what else you can do. You know, as you say, energy allocation, the more, the more you dwell on things, the more tired you get. And sometimes just being more tired isn't an option you really want to explore, you know, so right. it's, but. So if you had somebody in front of you who was, let's say they were struggling, struggling mm. either with their health issues or maybe kind of like a dark night of the soul thing where they're like before your surgery where you're feeling things weren't quite as manageable as they had always been. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say to somebody like that? It's hard, you know, it's because you never know how someone is going to respond or what they might respond to the most positively. But one thing that I, I find beneficial and is often beneficial for the people I talk to is the person that you're going to be, you know, three months from now, six months from now, 
and the growth potential you're going to have along that way is you, you can't explain that to someone but to me it's so exciting like the person I was before my heart surgery versus after the person I was you know this infection and after like is exponential change in the, the man that I am today because of those things and like I don't know what someone else is going to be like in six months like it definitely can go the other way but to me it's just it's such an opportunity to see what you're capable of and like who you're able to become you know you can test your character you can test and then to, it's confidence too like when you experience something that's particularly hard like I mean in my experiences in the physical realm but mentally as well like you develop this sense of um, for me it's confidence a lot of the times I think resilience is the word if it's more common but which is very appropriate obviously for this podcast <laughs> um so yeah for me it's just framing that as who who are you going to be in whatever amount of time this you know it's it's so exciting yeah I, I love that I love that combination that you've put together there with the um, the energy allocation so setting your own boundaries knowing yourself but almost like preparing the future you so you know like the hue you're gonna become tomorrow the, the way your character and your physical body has been tested is preparing for future bill and the things right. that I do today are gonna to be preparing my you know setting a groundwork for future Danette. Because it, so, it makes a difference, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a lot of people, yeah. especially later in life or not early in life, where you have a health scare of some kind, there's this huge shift in things and this a sense of change and potential loss. You know, you have these years to develop patterns and, you know, habits, and then all of a sudden some of those can't happen anymore. And it's a hard thing to do, but that adaptability to me, um, well, I guess when you asked me to come on the podcast, I really thought for a bit, what is resilience to me? And one of the first words that came to mind was adaptability. And that to me, like, I've never, I've never thought of resilience along the way. It's always been kind of in hindsight of things. Like, I just know that I am resilient in that I have all these things that prove it, you know. But on the backside of that, Resilience isn't all a, a positive word for me either. It, there's a lot of pain associated to it. Uh, you know, isolation, fragility, all these things like definitely discomfort. And I don't know if that's necessarily talked about, but that in itself, again, like that's what leads to the strength. And that's what leads to, the, you know, the sense of durability and growth and overcoming and confidence. So, to me, it's kind of that you got to have one to get the other, and it's it's definitely kind of a double-edged sword, but I, I like them both. I really do. Um, it's just one is maybe less fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and I, I totally agree. The word resilience definitely is not always about comfort. Um, mm. You know, the trees that don't break, they just bend in the wind. You know they're being really resilient but that's not going to be very comfortable if you know they had feelings sure. like we kind of had feelings sort of thing so i yeah. absolutely agree that sometimes resilience is not an easy word to take on but but I, I appreciate that you're able to talk about the hard things and that's one reason i started this podcast was so that people could hear stories like yours where it's not just focusing on the positive but looking back you saw that you were resilient as you were laying the groundwork for future bill sort of thing so yeah yeah no like yeah. i said it's uh 
I really, I get a lot of joy in the, just the reactions I've had from people after hearing me speak and different things like that. Like it's priceless to me. And that's, it's somewhat of a selfish endeavor. You know, I, I, I know that I have felt very isolated and alone multiple times over my life. And I have always had a huge support system. So I can only imagine like people who don't feel that they don't have a support system around them, you know, how that might feel. And just to have someone stand in front of you and say, you know what, here's some things that I've experienced and wherever their mind goes, it just seems to be, you know, a positive experience to hear about mine. And it's special to me that I can just talk about my life and somehow that ends up helping other people. But, you know, people like you and like you're doing great things and I really appreciate being part of it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your uh, willingness to talk about things that aren't always easy to talk about, um, but to do it with such, to face the tests of your physical body and your character again and again with such determination and then the willingness to share your story. I just so appreciate you taking this time. Well, thank you very much. No, it's been a pleasure. Okay. Great. Take care and we'll be in touch soon. Thanks, Danette.